for the quitters. Game quitters. Listen up, quitters. Game quitters. It's the Game Quitters Podcast with Cam Adair and Jason Wellwood. On today's show, the leading authority on raising children in the digital age, Dr. Richard Freed. And now, the heavyweight champion of the world, Cam Adair. Welcome Game Quitters, Jason Wellwood here with you once again for the Game Quitters podcast. Today we've got Dr. Richard Freed on the way to sit down and talk with Cam on the subject of, well, keeping kids on the right track and avoiding game addiction before it happens. Now, Richard Freed has seen a lot in his career and especially when it comes to parents and families that are struggling with game and technology addiction, he's got some great insights because he really has seen it all. And he's concerned about the future generations. Obviously, you can tell this guy is passionate about what he does. I mean, him and Cam together talking, oh man, it's just gonna blow your mind. They have a lot of great stuff, a lot of great insights and tips if you happen to be a parent and you're concerned about your child. So please stick around. That's coming up later in the show. Gonna be great. But right now, I want to give you a brief little update on how the 90-day detox has been going because, as you know, if you tuned into our first few episodes, I decided to take on the 90-day detox for myself as a commitment to game quitters, to myself, to make my life better, and to prove that I could do it. Now, many of you have probably done it yourself, and I don't know where you might be in there. Maybe you've completed it long ago. Maybe you're doing it now with me, or maybe you're considering doing it. Wherever you are, check out GameQuitters.com because you can get everything you need to get started. Plus, you know, the YouTube channel for Game Quitters. Cam's got a ton of free content on there alone that will help you, guide you on this journey, and just get you through it. Get you through the other side, which is what's waiting for you, a better life. That's what we all hope anyways. And today on the update... Well, I want to talk a bit about that because there's an aspect that you need. It's so crucial to getting through a detox off of games or any type of addiction that if you don't have this one aspect, this one ingredient, you're not going to make it. And for me, I learned this the hard way. Trust is that ingredient. If you don't have trust, trust in yourself to make this commitment and see it through. Trust in other people to help you with it. When you ask them for that help, trust that you are stronger than the game. You won't make it because, well, you can't commit if you can't trust. And it's a lesson I've learned in my own life, not just from this experience, but just from relationships with people I've had in the past, a ton of things, you know, and we all go through it. Can I trust myself with this? It's like, you know, you put a box of donuts in front of you and you open the lid and next to it, you got a plate of broccoli. Can you trust yourself to finish that broccoli without thinking about the donuts? I don't know. I don't think I could trust myself with that. Getting through a game addiction is kind of like that. And, you know, I've said it before in previous podcasts, if you can distance yourself from the materials that are games, like, your, you know, your game collection or your consoles, that's great. Out of sight, out of mind. But even so, you still have to be able to trust yourself that you're not going to just go back because you're weak. I've made mistakes 
in the past. I've broken commitments in the past because maybe I didn't fully trust that I could do something. Well, here's the thing. We all mean well. We're all human beings. And when we take on something like this, a detox, we mean well. We want the end result. We want it so bad, we tell ourselves the moment we start, we're going to do whatever it takes to get it. But if you don't get it, if you break your trust in that former self, in that moment that wanted it more than anything in the world, what do you do? What do you do? Do you give up? Do you continue? No. Here's the thing. You're the only one you can trust in this world with anything. And I know that sounds harsh. But more than anyone else, you should be trusting yourself first. Because no one's going to do this for you. There's going to be great people in your life that will want to support you. Maybe you're doing this on your own. I don't know. But the point remains... You're all you have at the end of the day. Because there's going to be moments where even if you do have a great support system, you're going to be alone. And there's going to be a temptation. And you're going to think, am I going to break? Am I going to break that trust? Well, just remember, you're the only one responsible. The only one. No one's expecting you to make it through this. Sure, there may be people that genuinely want to see you succeed, but no one is holding you down and saying, you have to do this. And even if they are doing that, if there is someone in your life doing that to you, saying, hey, get through this detox, you need this for you, you could still relapse. You could still break that trust. Because the only one that's there and is fully committed to this 100% of the time is you. So find that strength in yourself, wherever it is, Even if you can barely muster it, just remember that. If you give up, you give up on the one person you can trust. And that's yourself. If you want a better life, then you have to make it through to the other side. That is your commitment. That is your duty to yourself. Don't forget the promise you made when you started this this process because you owe it to yourself to get through it, to change your life. And you know what? I'm doing it too. And I believe in you. I believe in this community. All the people going through this with me, I know you can do this. So keep it up. Here's Dr. Richard Freed. All right, welcome everyone to the Game Quiz podcast. This is episode nine with Dr. Richard Freed, who is a child and adolescent psychologist and a leading authority on raising children in the digital age. Dr. Freed is the author of the book, Wired Child, Reclaiming Childhood in a Digital Age. He's a contributor to the Huffington Post, and he's been featured in the New York Times, The Atlantic, and major other media platforms. He lives in California, like I do, with his wife and two beautiful daughters. Dr. Freed, honored to have you here. Welcome. Cam, thank you very much. It's really, uh, I'm really excited to be able to talk with you today. So we got connected because we got connected through Families Managing Media, which is a website, awesome resource for parents uh, and people really looking, you know, families really looking to be able to to manage, you know, the digital age, as you like to say. And Melanie, who who is a part of that, uh, introduced us and, you know, love the work that you guys are doing. And I know that for you, getting into the, to working with kids and families, 
that they're struggling with, you know, extreme electronic use or gaming wasn't something that you really sought out, but it kind of sought you out. Tell us a little bit about that. It started a long time ago in my uh, practice. I would see families and uh, a kid would come in and uh, the presenting problem would be, uh, here's my depressed kid. Another family would come in and say, here's the presenting problem and here's my kid failing in school. Uh, here's a girl that's anxious um, all the time. And, you know, those are what's really important is to peel back the onion and to find actually the, the cause of, of, of those uh, problems because not every depression is the same uh, is driven by the same thing or anxiety or, or school failure and so much of our kids issues are driven by the life that they are spending um, in front of screens in front of video games in front of phones which accounts for the it's the biggest activity in our lives for teens they even do it more than they sleep so it's just it, it came to be natural for me to actually consider wow this is because you would see this in your practice, your life, you know, uh, the, a certain kid's life doing that was was driving the symptoms that would present in my office. So do you believe that, that like something like depression or anxiety comes first and then gaming becomes kind of like the coping mechanism for that and then gaming becomes then kind of makes it worse and worse and, and becomes a crutch or does gaming kind of and electronics kind of come first and then depression and anxiety are, are kind of mixed into that? Cam, that's such a really good question, and I think we're trying to sort that through, and I think uh, you are really aware of that. Um, it, that this debate, and in many ways it's, it's raging, because there are a lot of people who are kind of in defense of all things electronic and saying, you know, it's just particular kids that have a, a, a particular weakness, and, and um, they're the ones that get into... Uh, the problems, but that you know that used to be used for alcohol. That used they used to sort of blame uh, the the person who has an alcohol problem and not really consider the effect of alcohol themselves. That was even done with uh, smoking a long time ago. Oh, that if you got uh, lung cancer, it must have been some sort of particular weakness. But really, I think as we look and there's research to to show, and just what I see in my practice every day. Perfectly normal uh, kids who are off to have a great life um, really hit the speed bump that wouldn't have happened if they didn't have a life uh, uh, of gaming. You know, we all we all have particular weaknesses. Worried kid and didn't find going talk uh, remarkably easier if I or easy. So what would it, you know if if I would have fallen into games what and become obsessed with that rather than uh, venturing out and talking with people. What if people said, oh, it's the anxiety driving it? I, I think a lot of it you can just over... Uh, all our problems that we, that we all have in some way, we overcome by um, engaging in life and hanging out with our families and doing the difficult work of going to school uh, and not avoiding life by disappearing into a life of screens. And then those problems get worked worked through. Right, and I know from reading your book, one of the the initial kind of concepts that you talked a lot about was the difference between perception and reality. And you used the example of, of the this very popular iPhone commercial. It was, it was iPhone uh, in 2013, I believe, around Christmas was this ad that came out where, you know, you had this kid who was kind of on his phone and, and you have this whole scene of, 
a family out, you know, skating and then out at a park and then having dinner and, and the whole time this kid's on his phone and then eventually the, the kind of parent looks over and is like, you know, what are you doing on this phone? And the TV turns on and he's edited this whole video of the whole family experience and he captured it all, right? And in the YouTube comments, there's comments like, wow, like I was crying watching this commercial. It's so beautiful. You know, my family is amazing. But that's like an advertisement of an iPhone. The reality is that if, if they actually show the genuine um, video of that experience, it actually probably the whole family were on their phones and not actually really talking to each other. And so there's a difference between like the perception of, of our tech use and its impact on us and the reality of it. And so, you know, in your research and, and what you've kind of been doing, what do you see as, as the difference between the perception and the reality? We are, uh, you know, in America, we, we love our technology. It is, uh, uh, I think Scott Keeter of the Pew Research Center says, if, if America has a national religion, the closest thing to it is a faith in technology. And it drives, uh, it, it even affects researchers. You will see medical doctors or psychologists just get taken with uh, these, which are, they're remarkable devices, but they, they almost forget all their training and all their understanding of, of child and adolescent development just to fall into uh, being taken with these devices and how wonderful that is and not actually considering their effect on our lives. But it really also happens with families. Families aren't, uh, we're really sold that these technologies bring the family closer together and that's what the marketing is going to tell us. And then just every day in my practice, I, I have parents telling me that they've, they've lost their kid to a device. And I've got, unfortunately, kids coming to me saying, I've lost my parent to a device. And that's, it's, it's, it's quite sad. And, and I'm, that's a lot of what my book is about, is trying to bring the reality or, or actually with the science to uh, to talk about the science and, and make that in a usable form that we can understand and then uh, really understand the reality of what all these devices are doing and then move forward from there. Do you have any of the science behind the parents' technology use? Because I think that's one of the, the really interesting things that's not really talked a lot about is it's always focused on the kids. But kids are generally modeling the behavior that they see in their parents. And so what does science kind of tell us about like parents' technology use? And, and as you know, our, our society has modernized and technology has improved, it seems like parenting has, has just completely changed. Where parents now, it seems like, don't... There's so many different things they have to do between working. You know, both parents are probably working now, you know, paying bills, having responsibilities. Kids have technology, the internet. There's all these big changes, and it seems like we've kind of lost the capacity to, to parent in the same way. Cam, uh, uh, that's a really good question. There is research out of Stanford that shows that the more time parents are on the internet, the less time they have in family interactions. And, you know, I think some of the best research that you can have is just, as a person, go out to eat with uh, you know, just go out to a restaurant and watch what happens uh, with really good families. You know, we've got families sitting there 
And uh, I guess a lot of kids are on their devices, but there's actually research, too, that, that parents, which re- uh, this neat uh, doc, uh, maybe it's Rodesky, uh looked at families in fast food restaurants, and a third of the parents spent uh, the entire meal on their devices at the expense of engaging with their kids at all. And that'll, you know, that's kind of research, but in my practice, that just breaks kids' hearts and does, it does worse things. It leads to kids having, uh, you know, feeling empty inside and actually turning to depression and even thoughts about hurting themselves because they really feel um, just that they've lost their parents. If if you lose your parents' attention, you feel like you've lost your parents' love as a, as a kid. So, yes, a, a, a big, um, and, a big difference between reality and perception, and, and uh, um, I want parents to understand that. And um, and you're right. I think we have lost. We've just gotten away from what it means to be a uh, to, what what it means to be an effective parent in this uh, age of uh, when we're taken with uh, so many devices. So as a parent, you know, what are some of the kind of strategies that, that you implement to to really kind of keep your family, you know, together as a family and having a, a very strong family bond. Um, you, you know, I sometimes like to joke because I, I talk around, uh, I, I talk in uh, around America on this, and I recently talked in uh, Canada. I know your uh, home country. Go Canada uh, on this. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I sometimes like to joke that uh, you know, oh, I talk a good game. Um, but then, oh, then there's my real life at home where I'm a real parent and I'm, I'm struggling like everyone else. Because uh, it is a struggle. And I, you know, firstly, on my end, I uh, work, uh, I, I do work at home on the computer, but I really try to tell my kids, you know, I'm going to set aside time where dad needs to go work and this is what I'm doing. And, and they see me working as opposed to uh, playing Candy Crush. And then... Uh, uh, that's a different experience than having me be, uh, you know, sitting there playing a game with them and always reaching for a phone that's going, you know, buzz or ping. And then with respect to our kids, we have a uh, almost 10-year-old and 14-year-old. We have a 14-year-old daughter. Our kids have grown up with much less tech than uh, most kids. Our 14-year-old has a phone that she keeps in the, the kitchen and uh, isn't on social media because we are concerned about how my wife and I are concerned about how powerful uh, social media is and various elements like fear of missing out and so forth. So she texts on that and uh, we have arguments like everybody else, like maybe being on the phone a little bit too much at the expense of family. But the fact that she keeps it in the kitchen and uh, isn't on it all the time and hopefully is engaging with her family, I, I think that has helped our kids uh, be with family. And, you know, what I try to stress in my talks is, yes, young kids need their family, but boy, I know preteens and teens get to have hormones and brain changes and they can be difficult to be around and they seem so prickly and they like they don't want to be around their parents, but they, they, they really need uh, family engagement because they're suffering through all that too, all those brain changes and emotions, they, they will suffer through that too, and they need their parents to be a, a rock uh, in their lives to get them through all that. I definitely agree, and a lot of what we see in the Game Quarters community is, you know, families that just don't 
actually hang out as families. You know, they, they don't do activities and, and it's really, you know, the parents go to, go to work all day and, and the kids go to school and whether it's, you know, high school or college or something like that. And then they come home and they're all just kind of by themselves. And one of the biggest reasons why we find gamers in our community play is, is for social connection. And I find that interesting because if you had a very strong family bond, you wouldn't need to be filling this void of social connection in your life online through a video game. But it's because you're not getting that social interaction and, and engagement, I love that word, with your family that is causing you to have to go and find it somewhere else, right? And, and so what would you kind of recommend for families to, to be able to, to just begin to kind of rekindle some of that family bond? Cam, that's that's great, I, and I do think that that's the right place to start. Is you know, if, if we're gonna ask kids to step away um, from devices, we need to really first start with and pay attention to the, our our relationship with our kids, and that because if if we're gonna hope to set limits, if we're gonna hope to say step out of your room. Our kids need to see us making uh, an investment in them, and, and that can be tough, especially if a kid is really kind of felt disconnected and um, is spending a lot of time in their room. And so, where, how can you do that? P- places I like to start are, uh, you know, hey, we're going to go on a day trip, and and you know, parents aren't going to be on their phones, and kids aren't going to be on their phones, and we're going to go do an activity in which we get out of the house and we go engage. Uh, together, we can do a day trip. We can actually, if you're, you know, go away for a, a weekend, go visit lovely San Diego where you live. And I find, and and kids find, and parents find, like if you can, wow, we just got away and we found out that that was wonderful, and we spent a day together, and that told us about how wonderful this could be, and that builds the relationship that we're gonna, that parents are gonna need if they're gonna hope to get to be able to have the the leverage to be able to talk with kids about let's put down some of your devices. I was just today, I was telling you before this, I was out on the water surfing and there was, you know, a whole group of, you know, they were maybe seven or eight years old. There was about 20 of them. And it's always interesting for me when I experience that because here's 20 to 30, seven to eight year olds that are having an absolute blast you know, in the ocean with friends, really connecting, having a great time. And at no point while they were out there would they be considering, you know, oh, I really wish I was just back home playing video games. But when they don't have any of those other things to do, then you're bored. And playing games can't be worse than feeling bored, so you might as well just play. Right, and, and so I think, you know, for parents listening to this or, or just, you know, anyone, having those other activities to do is so crucial. And, and not just putting it on them to have to try to figure that out. You know, it's, it's not enough to just say, hey, Johnny, you need to go figure out some other things to do. Or, hey, Johnny, you need to go, you know, make some friends. Go call your friends, go hang out with them. But actually really help them be able to facilitate that because what we see a lot in our community is that the intangible skills are very underdeveloped. They don't know how to make new friends. They don't know what they would talk about without gaming. They don't know what other activities they would do. And so if you want them to be spending less time on electronics or you want them to spend less time gaming, you really have to be able to, to 
identify the fact that their intangible skills of resourcefulness and creativity and spontaneity and social skills are going to be underdeveloped and you need to be able to help them facilitate those and, and improve those if you want them to have the competence levels of being able to do it you know, independent of yourself. And so I think that's a really important point. Do you see that in, in the work that you do with the families who visit you? Uh, yes, and Cam, I, I just want to say I, I, I love your idea. I think we as adults, we as a society, need to do a better job of providing kids and, and teens spaces where they can go and, and, and enjoy themselves and, and be out, and maybe sometimes with family, maybe sometimes with friends, but just have, a, have places where you're not uh, always on your screen. And, you know, being on a surfboard, uh, bouncing in the waves is a, is a perfect place to do that. You know, there, uh, if you're in a colder place, you know, what can we get kids skiing or can we get kids out? But I really think it's our culture's responsibility to find uh, places for uh, us as kids. And, you know, what I talk a lot about in my work is there is a, you know, one of the perceptions that we really get wrong is you're going to hear in our popular culture, oh, these uh, rich white kids and and how they have all, all these access to devices and how they live on devices. The truth is actually that uh, lower income kids and, and black kids are the ones, as noted by Common Sense uh, media research that are really, really getting decimated by lives on 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 screens, and I think a lot of that has to do is because they live in communities where they don't have uh, as much access. Their parents are maybe both working two jobs, and the family doesn't have as much um, money to be have kids be involved in extracurricular activities. So when we are trying to bring up and help less advantaged kids, I really am hoping that we recognize, I think the key thing is to uh, get them away from screens because they are spending so much time with, and you know, if kids want to learn how to code, that's great, but some, you know, the preponderance of, and just about every single second that kids are on screens, it's entertainment based and it's uh, for these disadvantaged kids, I think it's a key driver in um, uh, achievement gaps and and uh, and and health problems uh, that less advantaged kids have. And I really want to see if there are organizations, if there are people who want to invest in helping kids. Boy, do I think that uh, let's help these. We've got to find a way to get less advantaged kids away from screens. We see it reflected in our community. I, I get emails from 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, kids from India, kids from Pakistan, kids from everywhere, you know, 81 countries around the world. And, you know, just based on that alone, it's not just rich white kids who have this problem. You know, and, and it's also part of why we're so passionate about having resources that are free because right now the only options you have if you want kind of more in-person treatment are to pay you know, $150 plus an hour for, for a psychologist, or to have to go to a treatment facility that can be over $10,000 a week. And, you know, for those, yeah, the rich white kids are the only ones who are going to be able to get that help. But there's a lot of other people who, who need help and deserve it, just like you said. And one thing I know that you're really passionate about is, is the impact of screens on academic performance. And we see that a lot. So our average age of our community is 23 years old, male, college student. 
and the number of people in our community who, who report failing out of college, failing classes, failing exams, struggling in high school is a lot. It's probably one of the top reported you know, issues of negative impact that we see. And now more, more and more and more research is coming out. You know, Economist just posted this, Time just posted this, about the impact that gaming is having on employment levels. And especially for men in their 20s who don't have a college degree, obviously because they failed out of it due to gaming, are now spending the time that they used to spend working on gaming. And so what do you see, you know, what does the research show us of, of the impact that screens have on academic performance and what do you see some of the solutions are? Uh, it's really powerful. Uh, you know, starting from the time kids are in elementary all the way through college, it drags kids school success down. Uh, you know, if if you're the parent of a boy right now, I would be, I'd just be worried because 50, a full 57% of college admissions right now are girls or young women, and only 43% are boys or young men. That is staggering. That is a huge discrepancy. And I would be worried or freaked out as a parent, how can I help my kid get in uh, to school? And I think considering impact of, of screens, because boys game a lot more than girls do, um, I'd, I'd sure be thinking about how can I help my kid and monitor their gaming or consider how it's going to um, affect them. So I think parents have uh, a role. And I think, you know, what's going to happen in uh, a, a number of years is, you know, parents pay, uh, I don't know, 50, 70 grand to a college uh, a, a year sometimes in, a, in some of these places, considering um, room and board and tuition and all that. And you are seeing kids, just as you said, Cam, come home after a first year of, of failing in school. I think, I think we might move towards a model, or colleges might be able to offer programs. And I think parents will be willing, uh, or, or saying, "I want to step up for this." And it wouldn't be all that much, but I, my understanding is at high level, um, Division One let's say college football programs, they have a mentoring program. They, they're investing millions of dollars, let's say in just a coach. Uh, and they're investing a, a gazillion dollars in their, their football program. They don't want kids to, uh, come to college to play football and then be gone in a year. So they have a mentoring program. They say, you know, here, come to the study hall here, meet, meet with a tutor. Um, here, let's make sure your homework's, uh, getting done. Uh, I think, and, and that, you know, does wonders for helps kids stay um, academically capable to play football or basketball or whatever it is. I think parents are going to want to start asking uh, of this for uh, their kids when they when they go off to college, knowing that the the risks are there. That yeah, a lot of kids are going to fall, like we saw in screenagers. Uh, kids are just going to really academically capable kids are going to fall into either a gaming den or just game by themselves. And uh, they'll be they'll be coming home, uh, which is remarkably tragic uh, for parents. Parents are just heartbroken uh, when that happens when they uh, come and talk with me. Well, and part of what happens is in high school they're able to get away with it because they're bright. You know, the the if someone's gaming to the point that that they're struggling with addiction, you know, generally from what I see is is they tend to be you know definitely higher IQ, very very smart, bright kids, and they're able to get away with it in high school, right? They have parent supervision, classwork's not really that difficult. 
Now they get to college, no parent supervision, less structure, more responsibility. They're in a completely new environment, harder classwork, more stress. The way they deal with stress is they game. Gaming then gets them behind in school. That increases their stress levels. So they game some more, and that's where the cycle happens, where they eventually start failing classes, failing exams, failing out of school altogether. And so the percentage of, of these kids who are going to struggle with gaming in college is a lot. And you know, there's this new phenomenon coming, which is college esports, which is now coming more and more and more, where colleges nowadays are adding varsity esports teams and giving scholarships for people to play professional esports in college. It's going to be bigger than the, the NCAA sports. And what are they going to do when they're giving scholarships to kids to play professional esports at college? And the percentage of college students right now who game is over 70%. And kids start justifying not going to class because they have to, you know, they, they're trying to get a scholarship for esports. The number of kids who are going to end up dropping out of college because of a gaming addiction is going to exceed the number of kids who are going to earn scholarships to play professional esports in college. So what are colleges going to do, if anything, to be able to support these kids to, to live healthy lives, to be able to be successful in college, to be able to pay their tuition the whole time, because ultimately that's what colleges are really all about, is, is making sure they pay tuition and making sure that people go off into their life and be successful. And are they going to do anything? I'm not really sure. I'm kind of skeptical based on my experience with colleges so far. But I think they're going to have no choice. Because at what point does the number of students who start failing out due to gaming reach a, a level where they have to pay attention? And I think that we're going to start getting there, especially when you know research comes out of CAMH on Ontario this year that 13% of students between grades 7 and 12 had a video game problem, and that was a 4% increase since 2007. And those are students who maybe didn't even start gaming until you know they were, they were much older, like 7 or 8 years old. What about this generation that's coming now that started gaming or using electronics at 1, 2, 3, 4 years old, and the compounding negative impact that that has? So what do those numbers look like for, for people really struggling with a video game problem in five years, right? in 10 years. I think those numbers are only going to continue to increase and, and continue to increase more dramatically. So I definitely you know, really support what you're saying around the impact that gaming and electronics are going to have on students. And one of the t difficult things, that, one of the barriers that we have to navigate is the fact that most schools nowadays, for you to submit your homework, you have to do it online. And so it's not just as easy for families to just remove devices or remove access to computers in their homes because kids are going to require these devices to be able to submit their classwork. You know, I have students in our community who say, you know, I really want to stop gaming, but I have to use it to do school. You know, and so there has to be a complete shift in our relationship to technology that allows us to have that space to be able to do it in a healthy way or, or to be able to use the devices to, to submit our homework while having it not impact our ability to be successful academically. Cam, those are great points. Just as far as when you were talking about esports, I, I wanted just to mention, I see, you know, you're talking about college and I, and I think that that is so right and short-sighted of colleges to not understand the overall impact of what that's doing to their student community. 
but I see that in high school. I see kids, so many gamers who are overusing, justifying their not studying and their uh, really subpar effort and, and grades by saying they plan to be an esports person or such and such. You know, I know such and such person can make uh, money uh, doing this. And for the Cam, you might know it better than I do, but my understanding when I've read it, it's a a handful of of people who can make money uh, gaming, and I, I think it it's justifying millions of uh, of, of kids uh, who are just saying I'm I'm going to do that rather than than study. They're they're essentially quitting uh, th- their day job. Right, and you know I I was a very high level hockey player. And I have a video of, of this topic on YouTube around should you become a pro gamer. But for some reason, when it comes to pro gaming, the perception versus the reality is, is very different. So the perception is, I have a chance. And the reality is that you have a better chance of making the NBA than you do becoming a professional gamer, just based on competition alone. Esports is a global audience. The number of people who play video games is far greater than the number of people who play basketball, et cetera, et cetera. The chance of you making it in pro esports is very, very low. And even even what that comes with, I mean, there's a very big difference between you being a professional football player and the type of healthy lifestyle that that brings of you having sports psychologists and you having to exercise and all these different things, eat really healthy compared to being a professional esports player where they put you in a home where you have to game 12, 13, 14, 15 hours a day to become better. And there's just nothing healthy about that. It's just not a healthy lifestyle. And so I, I think that, you know, first you have to understand, first I'll, I'll say this, I'm never gonna be someone who's going to tell you to not pursue whatever your dreams are. Because that's just not what I'm about. And second, if you want to pursue professional esports, you have to understand that the chance of that is so incredibly low that you have to be perfect in every other form. Your diet better be perfect. Your mindsets better be perfect. If you're failing school to become a pre- professional esports player, you're probably doing it wrong because ultimately all those other areas of your life have to be perfect in order for you to give yourself the best chance of success. So it's not just as simple as just playing more. It's not just about an amount of time that you play. It's about everything else around your gaming that's going to impact your chances. And so just remember that. And Cam, that's uh, uh, amazing. You Can I just say uh, Game Quitters, is, uh, your uh, work is, is a remarkable resource. I, uh, off, you know, families are coming to me saying, where can I turn? And that's in my, in my practice and when I talk. Uh, to parents or teachers or health professionals, they are coming to me and saying, where, where can we go uh, for help? And I am sending them to, uh, to, to Game Quitter. So thank you so much uh, for doing that. I had to throw that in there. And then just as far as your comment about um, you know, where we headed, that, that kids need to use tech uh, productively because we're asking them to, to use it for school, I totally agree. That's why we. I don't want kids getting obsessed, and I also want schools to. There's there's going to be a neat uh, book uh, coming out uh, by a couple of teachers called Screen Schooled, um, 
And they talk about that exact subject. And one of the things they suggest is let's perhaps not be so quick to give up on textbooks. When you see your kid as a parent, you know, before sitting before their math textbook, you know, you know, gosh darn well that they're working on their math. When you walk in and you're seeing the back of a computer as a parent, you're praying that they're uh, uh, working on their math, but you just don't know. Right, exactly. And I mean, I get so many emails from kids who say my teacher thinks I'm working in class, but I'm actually gaming. So I mean, that that definitely happens a lot. So in your practice, what are the ages that you see most, you know, with families coming in? Is it is it they're coming in because they have kind of a younger like teenager or or are you seeing, you know, families coming in because they have, you know, a young adult who who is really struggling? I, I, I get to see just about everybody, and and that and it's and it's neat. You see, when I I all see four year olds whose parents uh, are telling me that they're, you know, the the presenting problem will be my kid uh, throws giant tantrums, is hitting me like they've never hit hit me before, and then you talk with them, and it's actually just uh, because they've been introduced to tablet games, and then you'll get to uh, elementary kids, and and they're in fifth grade, and parents are wondering. Why the heck is my kid losing interest in uh, school? They they used to be, uh, you know, they're quite academically capable. They were doing so well. What's going on? And then they incidentally mention, well, he does game with, you know, online game with all his buddies from school, and and that's where parents are saying, well, he's just living the life of the typical uh, American or Canadian boy. And then I want to say, well, our American and Canadian boys are are kind of in trouble uh, with respect to overusing this stuff. And then. I think you really see the wheels start to come off with kids when they potentially hit 14, 15, 16, or uh, young adults who are doing this, what this generation of doing doing is, you know, living a life on a parent's couch uh, with not making steps towards, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's tough being a teen. And I was kind of lost as a teen. What do I do and where do I go? But, you know, just to have what gaming does is it, it, it uh, it's sort of like the old adage when you, you know, you pick up drugs, your development kind of stops there. If kids become obsessive gamers, their development just really stops. So they, uh, they aren't considering steps to move forward. And just, you know, let's start with kids... If parents are wondering what to do, what, how how can they help their kids? I really like, you know, what kind of, let's help have your kids step away from games, consider moving technology out of uh, rooms, like a lot of uh, tech execs, and then you want your kids to, like a lot of tech execs do, and then you want your kids to just take baby steps, and, and that can, and parents may need to help kids do that, and for example, I originally studied business, and I worked in business, and uh, just that wasn't doing it for me. And I started volunteering uh, for Special Olympics. And I'm like, wow, did that sort of catch me? And that suggest that just that little bit of volunteer work suggested I need to go back to school and uh, study to be uh, a child and adolescent psychologist. So those baby steps, which you'd think would be simple or, or not that much for a kid, oh, just going and volunteer hearing it, you know, here or there or a few hours a week, those those little baby steps can really open up a lot of doors and, and eventually become kind of li- uh, life-changing for kids. So based on 
kind of what you've seen in in the families who have come to you with with older kids you know what does that kind of create as like a warning for for families who have young kids out there who are using screens is it really you know going far more tech free is it a certain kind of guideline of of an amount of time you know what what do you really see as like the the warnings that you've got based on your experience with families who who have kids who have developed a problem when I talk, it's what's wonderful to happen is to have a group of parents where you have parents of older kids there, um, and then uh, let's say of uh, 15, 16s, or e- even uh, kids that have gone off to college, and then you've got parents of kids in elementary school. And the parents of kids in elementary school, you're suggesting, you know, I'm suggesting let's set limits on games and uh, and, and kids' entertainment tech, and they're not quite seeing it. And then the parents are going to stand up that have that have had a kid in college sent home or that had their really capable kid get lost to games that was going off to college uh, and doing well in high school uh, just all of a sudden do some crazy stuff like decide not to go to school. And that opens up the parents of younger kids' eyes to say, wow, what kind of steps can we take? And I'm I'm more conservative uh, than most, Cam. I you uh, I don't quite know what what you would suggest, and I'm uh, just because of the power of today's games and how they're built and put together by psychologists and neuroscientists with the express purpose to pull people away from uh, other important activities or other activities in their lives. I'm more conservative. I if if I suggest if your kid hasn't started. Gaming, I'm not, a, you know, maybe, you know, do we need to rush to get them a new uh, video game player? Or if your kid's video game system broke, do we leave it broken? And do we have to get another one for uh, for Christmas? I definitely agree. I, I think that we should be challenging ourselves far more to, to be using tech a lot less. People don't really know this yet, but I've actually gone the last six weeks without internet at my house. And it's coming up on... I think by by mid June I'm traveling right away, so I have no plans to get in at my place yet. Uh, it'll be probably about three months at, at some point. But part of the reason for that was that I just wanted to put myself in a place where I had no choice but to live with less access. And obviously, I still have my phone, and you know I can go to the office and and get it any time. But it's been really interesting having a home without internet where. I would, you know, typically watch one more episode or watch one more movie, and now I don't because I just don't have access. I, I have no ability to watch that movie, and so I'm reading more and I'm calling more friends. And you know, honestly, I just spend less time at home. I go to more events. I you know, organize dinners with friends and and things like that. And overall, it's been a, a very positive thing. And and really, the only downside for me has been you know, it's been a little bit less convenient, you know, when I need to look something up or send something to someone, maybe I have to take the 10 minutes or 15 minutes to go into the office to do it. But overall, it's been a pretty positive thing. And so even just, you know, doing a challenge like that, like don't have technology in your home for a week or go a day without it. Or part of the reason why I chose surfing as, you know, an activity was that I can't be on my phone when I'm out in the water. And that just automatically helps me have more of that space in my life without tech that allows me to just reconnect with myself. 
going, you know, on hikes and going in nature where you won't have reception. You know, for me, things like Burning Man are, are an example of that, where for an entire week, I won't have access because I'm just in an area in the middle of nowhere where I just won't have reception. Doing things like that have really helped me give, give myself the experience of what life is like without it. And that helps me moderate far more when I do have access to it again than trying to moderate during the times that I still have access. So generally, my recommendation is just less for sure. And at least with gaming, I, I actually recommend a 90-day detox. So 90 days, cold turkey of abstinence, no gaming. 90 days, give your brain an opportunity to reset. And that's shown really great results for our community. And, and we have a study coming out right away. It's, we, we have the final draft of it, so it's, it's just getting ready to, to be published where we show that the quality of life for people that went through a 90-day detox from gaming went from an average of three and a half to an average of seven. And that's an, an evaluation of 12 different areas of life from psychological health, emotional health, you know, physical health, just ambition, vision, your values and beliefs, relationships with yourself, with family, with others, academic, work, performance, all those different areas, and seeing, you know, a 2x improvement to your quality of life just from 90 days of no gaming, I think it's pretty amazing. So, you know, definitely that's what I recommend when it comes to gaming and, and with tech, you know, it's, it's far more intri intricate because you may need it for school, you may need it for some of these different things for work, but always coming back to what's your relationship to it and is that aligned with your values and goals and the vision you have for your life? And if it is cool and if it's not, then let's start to make some changes and, and just allowing yourself even mentally to go to the place of being willing to be less attached and more open to experimenting and more open to your relationship to tech to be different than what it is currently, at least in my life, has really helped me begin to shift my relationship to it. So, you know, those are some of the things that, that we recommend. Cam, that's wonderful. It really, I would like... Uh, parents to take an example fr uh, from you and really see how powerful that can be to um, be conscious of the the tech in our lives because so much of the so many of the devices that we ha carry around with us are purposely built to get past our conscious uh, uh, understanding and just appeal to our kind of more primal sense of, of attention and, and got to reach for that. If we can raise our consciousness and understand how we use it and then understand how our use is affecting our kids, I think that that is, is a huge, powerful step in the right direction. Exactly. And it's, you know, we'll wrap up here in a second, but it's so important that we remember that tech and social media and gaming are intentionally designed for you to play them more. And of course they are, because Facebook makes more money with the more time you spend on Facebook. So of course they're going to do everything possible to help you stay more on that website. That's literally why they exist. They exist for you to spend more time on their website so that they make more money from advertising. So they're going to do all these different things from notifications or, you know, if you post a YouTube video, you'll get a far less reach than if you posted it native on Facebook, right? That's just one example. But games are specifically designed for you to play them more. Social media is specifically designed. All these things are specifically designed to get you hooked. And there's a great book called Hooked by Near Eel that can walk you through exactly how they do that. 
But it's just important to remember that because I think sometimes it's easy to be a little bit naive that this stuff isn't designed that way because you don't think that, you know, the people at those companies wouldn't really do that, would they? And again, it's not because those people are bad people or anything. I think there's a difference between bad behavior and bad people and whether you apply that to addicts where they're doing things because they're trying to fulfill different needs they have, whether that's, you know, a good thing or not, they're doing it from an innocent place, or tech companies who are trying to make cool products that people love and connecting people, but in doing so also cause addiction in some percentage of their community. I think it's just important to remember that that doesn't mean that they're bad people. It's just they have a reason for why they exist, and it may not always be in your best interests. Cam, I, I want to say thank you so much for uh, Game Quitters. I think it's just such a wonderful resource. And you are, you know, I think so many, you, you straddle the perfect place between sort of this uh, younger adult gamer and, and parents, and, and you understand both sides. And I think it's just such a wonderful place to be. And you, uh, I think you're helping a lot of people. Thanks. I, I really appreciate that and really appreciate your time. I know it's super valuable and, and you coming on to share your perspective and experience and, you know, writing an awesome book, Wire Child. Anyone listening, I definitely encourage you to go pick it up. I think it's, it's a really good read, especially for families and parents who you know, are concerned and, and looking for some tools and, and different perspectives on, on how they can you know, navigate this area of their life. And all the links to that will be in the show notes. All the links will be there, links to richardfree.com, the book anything else, families managing media, all those will be there. And just, you know, once again, really appreciate your time and, and any final thoughts. Uh, Cam, uh, it's just been wonderful to talk with you and uh, just to hear your um, just take. I, I think you are particularly unique in um, uh, seeing all this stuff and I think you're gonna help a lot of uh, families uh, and, 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 and kids, I, I want, uh, and. You know, I, I've got so many kids sort of coming up on the, their prefrontal cortexes coming online at age 16 and they're kind of waking up to this like, wow, what is going on with my life? And I just think they're looking for a place to turn. And I think that yeah, you're going to help a lot of people. And we'll do it together. So really appreciate it once again. And uh, there was something else I was going to say, but I can't remember. Oh, if anyone has any questions or comments from this episode, definitely hit us up. You can hit me up, cam at gamequarters.com or on Twitter at Cameron Dare. If you have any questions at all on SoundCloud, you can post them below the link. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Any questions for Richard, I'll pass them on. But And, and Cam, if people can uh, contact me on richardfree.com, uh, and I've got a contact uh, page there where people can pose questions to me as well. Awesome. Yeah. So if you guys have any questions at all, just let us know. Love to interact and, and get your guys' feedback and, and make this valuable for you. So once again, thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And next week we'll have another episode. So hope you guys have a great day and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Cam.
For full-length episodes of the Game Quitters podcast, be sure to check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash gamequitters or visit us online at www.gamequitters.com.